We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. go episode 545 of the Al Galdi podcast it is Friday April 7th 2023 as we enter into maybe the most religious weekend of the year I'm not sure how you measure that but uh this weekend is both Easter weekend and Passover weekend a happy Easter and happy Passover to those who celebrate I don't know about you but (laughs) Easter weekend now always makes me think of the Redskins trading for Donovan McNabb it was on Easter Sunday 2010 that the news of the Skins trading for Philadelphia Eagles quarterback Donovan McNabb broke uh while we were doing our Easter egg hunts and eating our peeps <laughs> the Skins traded for Donovan we know how that worked out uh hopefully this weekend works out better for you than the Donovan McNabb trade worked out for the Skins hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, this good Friday installment of the pod, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode each weekday with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. You never have to wonder when the next episode of this podcast is coming out. No, early and often. That's all you have to remember, okay? Early and often. Uh, Coming up next segment, part two of my conversation with Commander's Insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. We on Thursday show, episode 544, did a deep dive on the sale of the Commanders. We on this show are going to go in-depth on actual Commanders football. I feel like we need a break from all of the talk about the sale. We need a palate cleanser. After all, we follow sports for, you know, sports. Uh, not sales and scandals and investigations. Although, if you didn't know better with our football team, you'd think that those things are why people f- follow sports. But Ben and I, next segment, are going to talk about what the commanders are thinking heading into this month's 2023 
NFL draft. Uh, why Ben has mocked Tennessee offensive tackle Darnell Wright to the commanders with their number 16 overall pick in the draft. Whether any significant contract restructurings or salary cap cuts are coming. Uh, how legitimate the Sam Howell Jacoby Brissett quarterback competition that head coach Rod Rivera is hyping will be. Whether Jacoby is an upgrade over Taylor Heineke and more. Ben Standing, next segment for a nice chat about nothing but football with the commanders. Imagine that. Uh, also on the show, I'll discuss the Nationals who on Thursday, despite playing at the hitter's heaven that is Coors Field, got shut out. Uh, that's how bad the Nats hitting is. The team got shut out in a game at Coors Field, a one nothing loss at the Colorado Rockies. Although starter Josiah Gray was terrific in a bounce back performance. One run in six innings, six strikeouts. Uh, and I will talk Capitals. Uh, talk about going out with a whimper. The Caps got ripped at the second-worst team in the Eastern Conference, the Montreal Canadiens, 6-2 on Thursday night. The Caps, on Tuesday night, got eliminated from postseason contention, and they barely showed up on Thursday night. Do you remember what winger Alex Ovechkin famously said at the start of 2017 Caps training camp? We not going to be sucked this year. And then the Caps, of course, went on to win the Stanley Cup. We're not going to be uh, sucked this year. Yeah. We're not going to be sucked this year. Well, the Caps be suck right now. Uh, the Caps now, over their last three games, all regulation losses have been outscored 16-4. Uh, you can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Jonathan on Commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder, our buddy, our pal, <laughs> uh, off my conversation with NFL business insider Andrew Beaton of the Wall Street Journal on Tuesday's show, episode 542. Andrew talked at length about his reporting on Dan having gone dark with other NFL owners. Uh, Dan is not keeping them updated on the sale of the Commanders. Writes Jonathan, I've been trying to figure out why Dan Snyder moved to the United Kingdom, and uh, Jonathan put moved in quotation marks, uh, why Dan Snyder moved to the United Kingdom, has not been talking to his fellow owners, and is having his attorney record Jim Ursay's public statements. I think that the reason is that Dan is preparing to file a defamation suit against Ursay, the NFL, and the Washington Post as soon as the ink on the sale is dry. Why does moving to the UK matter? Because the UK's defamation laws are so much friendlier to plaintiffs and because the Defamation Act of 2013 states, quote, that the courts of England and Wales do not have jurisdiction to hear defamation actions against persons domiciled outside the UK, EU, or Lugano Convention and less satisfied that this is clearly the most appropriate place to bring the action with a view to preventing so-called libel tourism, end quote. I'm an ex-attorney, though defamation was not my area of law. That said, knowing how vindictive Snyder is, I could see this as his strategy. I guess we'll see. I don't really care as long as he no longer owns the team. Uh, thank you for the email, Jonathan, who clearly is yet another high IQ listener of this podcast. A uh, very interesting theory. I don't put anything past Dan Snyder. 
And yeah, the video recording of Jim Ursay, that was notable. So Indianapolis Colts owner and CEO Jim Ursay, he at the NFL's annual league meeting, which took place in Phoenix, Arizona last week, spoke with reporters, but he was much more subdued and seemingly much more careful with what he said about Dan Snyder as compared to how Ursay was this past October 18th at the NFL Fall League meeting in Manhattan, New York, where Ursay became the first NFL owner to publicly question whether Dan Snyder should remain as an owner of the Commanders. And while Ursay was speaking with reporters last week, one of the people recording him speaking, uh, recording him on a phone, was this guy, Norm And I'm not sure how you say his last name, but his last name is spelled C-H-I-R-I-T-E. This guy, Norm, a lawyer for and advisor to Dan Snyder for years. Uh, And Norm at the league meeting was hanging out with the commander's other co-owner and co-CEO, Tanya Snyder, as well as with team president Jason Wright. So Norm clearly was working for the commander's. To what degree Dan Snyder actually would have a legitimate defamation case against Jim Irsay and or the NFL and or the Washington Post, I do not know. But of course, that would not mean that Dan would not try filing such a case. Email from Sterling Porter on Dan Snyder and WWE Chairman and CEO Vince McMahon. Right, Sterling, wondering if you watched WrestleMania last weekend. If so, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Also, have you been following the sale of WWE? Can't help but think of Danny Boy whenever I see news about Vince McMahon and the sale. As always, great show and keep up the good work. Uh, Thank you for that, Sterling. So I did watch WrestleMania, or as Vince McMahon called WrestleMania back in the day, WrestleMania. Uh, Very good show, as is almost always the case. I did not like the finish of the main event on Sunday night, and (laughs) I know that I am not alone in that opinion, but I did think that Cody Rhodes should have beaten Roman Reigns. You know, this kind of booking is how you ruin a baby face. Have him talk for months about doing something, and then in the big spot, he does not do that something. That's how you completely ruin a good guy, a baby face. But uh, the match was great, and the overall bloodline angle has been excellent. So I am willing to see how WWE ends up booking Cody. But the problem is that the man who is back in charge of the booking is Vince McMahon. He is back to running creative, and that is terrible news. Uh, Vince lost his creative touch decades ago. The reaction to the Monday Night Raw after Mania was horrendous, and it was Vince who was running that show. And I have very little faith in the creative direction of WWE with Vince leading that direction. So I have a lot of concerns with the WWE product right now. But in terms of like the financial health of WWE, uh, WWE is flourishing in that regard. Uh, But yeah, there are parallels between Dan Snyder and Vince McMahon. Each guy is a billionaire. Each guy is notoriously a bully. And I'm talking about in real life with Vince, not his on-screen character. Uh, Each guy is notoriously impulsive. Uh, Each guy has been accused of sexual misconduct. Uh, Each guy is politically conservative. Each guy is very much wanted out by hardcore fans of his product, and each guy is selling or has sold his team slash company. WWE is being sold to Endeavor, uh, which also owns the UFC. The parallels between Dan and Vince are many. Uh, Well, one of the most famous incidents in pro wrestling history uh, was a wrestler, Bret the Hitman Hart, legitimately punching Vince McMahon Backstage, uh, this happened in Montreal, Canada in November 
1997. Brett is an all-time great. One of my most favorite interviews that I've ever done was an interview with Brett, uh, the hitman. He is known for many things, including wearing sunglasses to the ring. But do you know what would have made Brett even better? Of course you do. Him wearing Shady Ray's <laughs> sunglasses. And Brett, even with all of his money, could benefit from a great deal that Shady Rays is offering right now. 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses at ShadyRays.com. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the promo code ALGALDI. You, like Brett, can benefit from that promo code. Uh, Shady Rays sunglasses, they look good, they feel good. Shady Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's affordable and durable with clear optics for whatever you're doing outside. And Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements, meaning that if you lose or break your pair of sunglasses, even on day one, Shady Rays will send you a brand new pair of sunglasses, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because Shady Rays has your back long after your purchase. Here's a special offer for listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Yeah, 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you don't love them, you can exchange them for sunglasses that you do love, or you can return your sunglasses for a full refund Within 30 days, there's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Shady Rays always has your back. Go to ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. If you have been thinking about getting new sunglasses, now is the time. And Shady Rays is the way. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. That's ShadyRays.com and use the code ALGALDI for 50% off two or more pairs of polarized sunglasses. Also, Shady Rays has done some great work, has donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Shady Rays, look good and feel good. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Well, we, of course, have been spending a lot of time talking about the sale of the commanders, and rightfully so. Nothing with the team right now matters more than the sale. But 
we still have actual football things happening with the team. And so it's time now for part two of our conversation with Commander's Insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. Uh, We on Thursday's show, episode 544, had part one during which we went in depth on the sale of the team. But right now in this part two, we are going to talk nothing but actual Commander's football. Uh, Ben is the host of the Standig Room Only podcast. You can follow Ben on Twitter at Ben Standing. So we now are inside of three weeks until the first round of the 2023 NFL Draft. The first round is on Thursday night, April 27th. We, this week, have had a number of reports, including some from Ben, on pre-draft visits from prospects who the commanders are hosting. Uh, ben, you were at the NFL's annual league meeting, which took place in Phoenix, Arizona last week. You had a one-on-one with commanders head coach Ron Rivera. Did anything that Ron said to you alter your thinking on what the commanders might do with their number 16 overall pick in the draft, or not really? Not really. I, I mean, it's a, it's a weird, it's kind of weird, right? They, they went ahead and they made some moves, right? They signed two offensive linemen, um, you know, to some decent money, relatively speaking. Uh, they obviously add uh, Jacoby Brissett. They add a linebacker, you know, they swapped out Cole Holcomb for, uh, for Barton. And at least from a cornerback perspective, they added some depth, not necessarily like a potential starter, but kept Andy Johnson and had a, and picked up Dancer off waivers. So you could say they, in all those positions I just said, were effectively their need spots. And yet, other than maybe quarterback based on how they're viewing it, it doesn't feel like any of their need spots are fixed. Like, I mean, maybe the offensive line is better, but it still seems to me like they need at least another starter. And Martin Mayhew mentioned the depth is not is not great. Um, you know, cornerback, I still don't think who the fifth defensive back is, whether that's a corner or safety, but, you know, they, they still need a third corner one way or the other. Like, that that remains an issue. Um, you know, linebacker, I mean, I think Barton is the, is the answer there. For the, as they see it, but like the depth is still lacking based on what we all thought last year too, right? So, like they address areas, and yet simultaneously, I don't feel like I can cross any of them off the list, other than like I said, quarterback, and that's largely based on how they're viewing it more than saying, "Wow, Sam Howell and Jacoby Brissett, they've got it solved." Yeah, looking at what the Commanders have done in free agency overall so far this offseason, is their roster better as compared to the roster last season? I don't, I mean, I don't know. I mean, other than just saying, like, young guys will get better, you know, things like that. But in terms of, like, the new additions, I, you know, I, I don't really know how to say it. Because I think like, even, like, sure, the Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner part we know didn't work last year, of course. Um Norwell's still here. Turner is a free agent and presumably not returning. But, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, Andrew Wiley, like, he was on the Super Bowl champion Chiefs, and that's great. And he knows the enemy, and that's fine. But, like, you know, if you go and, like, you know, read up on that line, like, he was not viewed as, like, some dominant player. And that's evident that the league feels that way as well based on the contract that he got. Um, you know, we can say Sam Howell should be a better option at guard. That seems reasonable. He's also been hurt a lot the last his first two years uh, in the league, so the injuries were really be you know, a huge part of what happened on the line last year. And now we're talking about a player who, for whatever the reason, has been hurt. So I, I don't know. And then, like I said, cornerback, the fifth defensive back. You know, I, I'm not suggesting losing Bobby. You know, moving on from Bobby McCain is a big deal. I think they can do better, but I don't know who that is right now. And maybe they draft the guy, and you know, that's the thing with the draft, right? Maybe in the first two rounds they draft a a cornerback and a guard and everything I just said is now irrelevant. 
but you asked about the draft, and at this point, I still feel like their needs are their needs. Um, I don't think much has changed for me on that front. As many of you listening probably know, Ben Standig is a three-time mock draft champion as determined by the Huddle Report, so we pay particular attention to the mock drafts of Ben Standig. Uh, You and your latest Commanders-only mock draft for the Athletic had the Commanders with that number 16 overall pick in the 2023 draft, taking Tennessee offensive tackle Darnell Wright. Uh, What was your thinking in that? Yeah, I, I I think for me, the number one goal would be to trade down. Now, that's always something that people want to do in these mock drafts. So I'm, I'm not being that person. Um, I am being that. I am saying that, though, because of the way the board works and the fact that the board looks and the fact that last year they traded down. It worked out. It appears very nicely going from 11 to 16, picking up extra picks that turned into Brian Robinson, Sam Hyde, and then eventually Sam Howell and Cole Turner. Plus John Dotson, obviously. And I can see Rivera saying, hey, let's do that again. But when you do a straight mock, as I did, the, the, the issue becomes what if, you know, who's on the board, right? There's three tackles who, based on every single public projection, are, are separate from the rest. And all three of those other guys, are, including Broderick Jones from Georgia, are seemingly off the board by 16. Probably at least two of the top three cornerbacks are also off the board by 16. Now, a lot of mock drafts have a guy like Joey Porter Jr. there, the cornerback at Penn State, and obviously he's a really interesting prospect and and worthy of being picked somewhere in the first round, top 20, what have you. I don't know what I'm reading up on him, that he looks to me as like a fit for a Del Rio system. He's known as this physical press corner, which, you know... I'm not saying he can't play zone, but after we just went experience with the William Jackson deal, <laughs> doesn't it gives me pause. So if you don't take him, it feels like a little bit like I'm not saying it's a reach, but it feels like now you're in a position of like, well, I don't know what's the most obvious player there. And again, we're, I'm assuming they're not taking receiver. I'm assuming they're not taking defensive line, even though I made their argument the other day on the on the on the athletic that maybe we should consider defensive end. Because all the guys they currently have are free agents in twenty after the season, unless they pick up Chase Young's option, things like that. So Darnell Wright to me, you know, maybe it's a few picks early, but he may be like the next tackle on the list. He's pretty much a right tackle. That that to me seems like pretty interesting, right? If, he, if they like him and they think he can go play quickly, you could move Wiley into guard as well. It's not like you paid him super super money. He played guard for Kansas City initially. And now all of a sudden you'd have Wiley, Cosme, and then this young right tackle. I think that gets that gets me about as excited about this line as almost anything else is probably going to at this point. And that's going to be a huge key to help Sam Howell uh, to to you know give the enemy a chance to do what he wants to do. So that's why I kind of went with that route. But and also the last thing I would say is with cornerback, the depth of that spot looks pretty good in this draft, and you can probably get somebody in day two um, who, who looks like a pretty good prospect. That's not going to be the case with other spots. I think that's another reason to go offensive line over a corner in round one, but it all is going to depend on who's on the board. While we're talking commander's offensive line, there has been a lot of talk about the team potentially restructuring or cutting players, including some offensive linemen. Uh, Center Chase Roulier has come up. Left guard Andrew Norwell has come up. Left tackle Charles Leno Jr. has come up. Guys at other positions have come up too, like 
tight end Logan Thomas. Are you anticipating notable contract restructurings or notable veterans being cut in the coming weeks? Yeah, I mean, the restructure thing just doesn't seem like something that they look to do. I, I believe I brought this up to Rivera at, uh, when his during his media session with the other NFC coaches, and uh, you know, he talked about how you know they think he, he thinks they've done a pretty good job of setting themselves up year over year, not putting too much money out into the future and having to get get in trouble, and that's. That, that is true. Uh, at the same time, you know, there's some opportunity to to, to get some more cap space here. Um, you know, Charles Leno's deal, Kendall Fuller's deal has a lot of room if they want to restructure and give them more years beyond uh, their deals um, when they when they expire. Fuller expires this year. Uh, Ruye is going to be interesting. That's not so much of a restructure. It's, to me, it's more of a pay cut or he gets released. We'll see where that where that goes. They obviously fortified their center spot with with Nick Gates, and they kept Tyler Larson. Um, but yeah, in general, they just don't seem like that type of team that looks. You know, we see almost every other day, especially you know over the last few weeks of such and such a team. You know, converted this into that. Now all of a sudden, they've got eight million more available in cap space now, and and so on. Um, Washington just does not seem like one of those teams. We're talking with Commander's Insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. Uh, let us talk quarterback uh, for a third time in four off-seasons for Washington with Ron Rivera as head coach. Uh, Ron is talking up a quarterback competition. He is promoting a quarterback competition. He is a promoter. He's like UFC President Dana White promoting a UFC fight. Uh, Dwayne Haskins versus Kyle Allen in 2020 ended up not being a real quarterback competition. Ryan Fitzpatrick versus Taylor Heineke in 2021 ended up not being a real quarterback competition. So uh, what is Sam Howell versus Jacoby Brissett going to end up being? Well, I think the variable for me, I mean, look, Ron Rivera has been on a, on a, on a tour here selling this product he has. Um, you know, he's really trying to get ahead of, of, of people and get them behind Sam Howell. And that's not a, hard thing to do it's a pretty easy product to sell a, a young quarterback who we don't have much information on you can easily view him as you know the potential future here and look he did have a pretty good sophomore year and then lost a lot of pieces around him things fell off as a junior etc uh to me though the variable is eric Bieniemy because you know ron rivera and this team started talking about sam howe as the starter or potential starter before the enemy hire, and I've said before, I think a lot of the whole Sam Howe has QB1 entering the summer talk was a way to change the subject, because instead of discussing how the Carson Wentz trade bombed and how the team fell apart at the end of the year, pretty soon after we're going, oh, well, wait, Sam Howe, that's interesting, right? And now all of a sudden, we move off of that, which is probably a good move on their part, but it also sort of now put Rivera into a little bit of a box here, because you've been saying Sam Howe is the guy. It's hard to imagine that Jacoby Brissett doesn't look better in this summer than how. I mean, maybe how makes a huge leap, but again, he was the 144th player picked in the draft, what, like the sixth quarterback. I mean, it's really hard to just be like, oh, wow, this guy is going to be awesome. I mean, sure, we could say that, but you know, what are we pointing to that honestly suggests that? And for Biennemi, you know, this is his first and maybe only shot to show the other teams 
that he isn't just an Andy Reid assistant ride, uh, along for the ride. That he is a force of his own. That he that he can you know run. A, you know he can call the offense. He can get this going. And if he can do it with a guy like Sam Howe, that'd be great. But is he really going to also risk his thing for a guy with one start versus a guy with forty eight or forty nine starts in Brissett, who isn't obviously you know a, a dynamo, but you know he is pretty solid quarterback so i think that to me is a, the, the unknown variable here is where is the think about this and how much say does he have in, in the final decision you talk to a lot of people around the nfl when you talk to those people what do they say to you about the commander's positioning sam howell to be their qb1 for the 2023 season do those people like laugh at what the commanders are doing or do those people indicate that there's logic, maybe even intellect, to what the commanders are doing? Um, there are people who say um, that they thought Sam Howe, you know, they had a higher grade on him than the fifth round as well, as Washington has claimed now to have a day two grade on Howe. Um, so there are some people like that. Yet simultaneously, you know, as we see with, you know, the mock drafts are not what you're talking about, but like the mock drafts constantly want to still give Washington a quarterback in some capacity, even after this. And, you know, I definitely have had teams, maybe not necessarily, they're not laughing, but they're like, so wait, Washington, they're, they're still like in the mix for a quarterback, right? You know, like they're like still a little bit skeptical about it. And, you know, some of the recent projections have a guy like Will Levis sliding or a Hendon Hooker moving up. Um, meaning that one or both could be there at uh, 16, and then people will say, oh, well, shouldn't they take a quarterback? I, I don't know if I see that occurring, but I do think there's still some skepticism out there. Um, but I, look, I also think for a lot of people, it's like the reality of Washington's situation, like what else are they going to do? At 16, they're going to have to trade a lot, right, to get up to the top five to possibly get one of these quarterbacks. And I mean, let's just put Levis aside if he's sliding, he's sliding. Um, and then, you know, Brissett is solid. Like, he's not amazing, but he's got a higher floor than what they had last year. And if that higher floor means an extra couple wins, you know, fewer turnovers and all that, and everybody else does what they did last year, then maybe this is a 9 or 10 win team. But, you know, that's that's a lot of ifs I just threw in there, and that's where I think there was a, a fair amount of reasonable skepticism. Do you consider Jacoby Brissett an upgrade over Taylor Heineke? I, I do, uh, from the perspective of, like I said, that higher floor. It felt like, it feels like, you know, Heineke and Wentz were very different quarterbacks in the way they're, you know, built in particular. But they both, there was a lot of chaos when both were in the lineup. And I feel like, we're just even watching the one game with Sam Howe, I think that was my biggest takeaway, was that it felt normal, not more normal than what those guys felt like. And I think Brissett is more in that vein as well. He's He really does a good job of protecting the ball. You know, he's not he's not exactly the most mobile quarterback out there, but he's got a big arm. And, uh, you know, there's other, you know, you, you can point to stats all day long uh, in, in any direction you want. But, look, you know, he had some positive stats. He was top 10 in, in ESPN's QBR rating. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think um, – I don't know. I, I, I sort of already, sorry, I already lost track of, the, of, of what you exactly asked. But basically, I just think that, like, Bursette, oh, you asked if he was better than Heineke. Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's just a steadier guy. You know, I always said for Heineke, for one game, I would probably take him 
you know, over Wentz because I think he can figure out a way to get the job done. But over time, Heineke just is not as much there. I think that's going to be the question with Brissett. You know, over time, what happens? He's never had a winning record when he started at least 11 games. He's done that three times. That's not always on the quarterback, of course, but, you know, we haven't seen him elevate a team person. Yeah, and of course, if things with Sam Howell go, as fans like me want those things to go, uh, Jacoby Brissett will not be playing much, if at all, for the Commanders this coming season. Commanders insider Ben Standig of The Athletic. Ben, thanks a lot. Have a great weekend. Al, always a pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. All right, Ben Standig knows his stuff, just like the law firm of Polson and Nace knows its stuff. If you have a case, contact Polson and Nace. Polson and Nace is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. You can call Polson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Polson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Polson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Polson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Polson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Polson and Nace wins trials. Polson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Polson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Polson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yet yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Polson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit polsonandnace.com. That's polsonandnace.com. Just make sure that you tell Polson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Polson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Polson and Nace. Well, the Washington Nationals on Thursday played a baseball game in which we, from a Nats perspective, had very good news and very bad news. Uh, The very good news was that the Nats starting pitcher, Josiah Gray, was great. The very bad news was that the Nats offense, even in the hitter's heaven that is Coors Field, uh, was horrendous. <laughs> uh, to me, what mattered the most by far was that performance of Josiah Gray. So let's start with that. Uh, the Nats fell to 1-6 with a one nothing loss at the Colorado Rockies on Thursday in Game 1 of a four-game series and Game 1 of a seven-game trip out west. And Josiah Gray was the Nats' starting pitcher. He was coming off a terrible 2023 regular season debut. He and the Nats' 7-1 loss to the Atlanta Braves at Nationals Park this past Saturday allowed five runs in five innings. He gave up 
three home runs, including solo homers to the first two batters he faced. But Gray on Thursday had a really nice bounce back performance despite pitching at Coors Field, at which so many pitchers have gotten wrecked uh, thanks to the mile high air. But Gray allowed one run in six innings with six strikeouts. Yeah, one run, six innings, six strikeouts. He generated 19 swings and misses. He did give up eight hits, but six of the hits were singles, and one of the two doubles that he gave up came on a routine fly ball that got lost in the sun by right fielder Lane Thomas, and Gray issued just one walk. And while he over his six innings did throw 102 pitches, he threw 64 strikes versus 38 balls. Bravo, Josiah Gray. Uh, His pitch selection on Thursday was interesting. Gray's cutter in that loss to the Braves did not work well, and so he on Thursday threw a cutter on just six pitches in the game. According to StatCast, his most off-used pitch uh, was a slider, which he threw on 42% of his pitches, according to StatCast. I really liked what went down in the bottom of the first. Gray had runners on first and second with just one out, but he then generated back-to-back swinging strikeouts of the Rockies' numbers four and five batters, C.J. Crone and Ryan McMahon. And when it came to the lone run that Gray allowed on Thursday, bottom of the fifth, Gray gave up a leadoff double to the Rockies' number nine batter, Ezekiel Tovar, on a 1-2 pitch, but this was a double that should have been an out. Uh, Right fielder Lane Thomas lost a routine fly ball in the sun, and the ball dropped for what went down as a double. Boy, the Nats so far this season have had a very difficult time with fly balls in the sun. Uh, And then Gray gave up a one-out full-count RBI single by Chris Bryant to left field for a 1-0 Rockies lead. This was Nats manager Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Thursday evening on Josiah Gray. And then you'll hear a follow-up exchange with my partner on the Nats Chat podcast, Nats insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. He's awesome. Man, he threw, you know, he's pounding the strike zone. Uh, he got behind a couple times, but it, he was able to come back and uh, and uh, and pound that strike zone again. But his slider was really good today. Man, really good. So he kept kept their hitters off balance. Um, I thought his fast, he used his fastball well today as well. His fastball early on was kind of all over the place. It, how is he able to still be successful even in a park like this by going to the breaking ball as much as he did? Yeah, you know, and that for, for me right now, that's, that's kind of who he is. When, when his fastball's scattered, he's got to go, go rely on that slider. Um, and for, for the most part, he threw the slider down, which is what you want to do here, you know, um, not leave it up. So, uh, But then when he needed his fastball, he threw some good fastball. So, you know, he had a great day today. Yes, he did. An impressive outing for Josiah Gray on Thursday. Also having an impressive pitching outing for the Nats on Thursday was reliever Mason Thompson. Uh, He tossed two scoreless innings with three strikeouts. He threw 25 pitches, 18 strikes versus just seven balls. Uh, Mason Thompson has been the Nats' best reliever so far in this regular season. Three games, seven innings, just one run allowed, just three hits allowed, no walks allowed, Seven strikeouts. Uh, Davey Martinez on Thursday only had to use two pitchers, Josiah Gray and Mason Thompson. But as good as the Nats pitching on Thursday was, uh, that's how bad the Nats hitting on Thursday was. The Nats got shut out. Uh, They totaled just six hits, all of which were singles. The Nats drew just two walks. The Nats, for the entire game, had a mere one at-bat with a runner in scoring position. Kyle Freeland was the Rockies' starting pitcher. He's pretty good, especially as uh, Rockies starting pitchers go, but he owned the Nats on Thursday. Six and two-thirds scoreless innings, five strikeouts. Uh, Also, the Nats as a team fell to one for four on stolen bases 
in this regular season. We this season have new bigger bases in Major League Baseball. The idea is that stolen bases will be up, and yet somehow the Nats are just one for four on stolen bases. Uh, C.J. Abrams on Thursday was the Nats starting shortstop and number nine battery. Went two for three with two singles. He in the top of the third had a one-out single to right field, but he then was thrown out in an attempted steal of second base. Uh, this was Davey Martinez during his post-game session with reporters on Thursday evening on the Nats being just one for four on stolen bases. Now, you know, they're just getting over there. They got to get better leads. Um, it's not that we can't steal bases. You know, all of a sudden now we start our leads are starting to get shorter and shorter. Um, that's the difference between the bang-bang play, you know. So um, I told CJ, I said, you, you, you had a three-foot lead over there, and you, you got to get a bigger lead. You would have been safe if you got just got a bigger lead. So it's something that we got to keep hop on with these, these young guys, you know, about making sure we do everything correctly. Yeah, I tell you, if the Nats are going to score runs this season, you figure that those runs are going to largely be of the manufactured variety as opposed to runs from home runs. But hard to manufacture runs when you're having a hard time stealing bases, even with the new bigger bases. Uh, Jamer Candelario on Thursday did potentially get robbed of a home run. Uh, he was the Nats starting third baseman and number three batter, one for four with a single. But Candelario in the top of the first had a deep fly out to left field for the second out as Rockies left fielder Jerickson Profar made a leaping backhanded catch on the warning track to perhaps rob Candelario of a home run. And I say perhaps because it wasn't exactly clear if Profar had not caught the ball that the ball would have landed for a home run. But still, I mean, that was a deep flyout, impressive catch by Pro Far, well hit ball by Candelario. But otherwise, not much happening for the Nats offensively. Uh, Lane Thomas did get on base two more times. He has been pretty good. Thomas on Thursday was the Nats starting right fielder and number one batter. He went one for three with a single and a walk. Top of the first, a first pitch leadoff single to center field. Top of the third, a two-out walk. Uh, Luis Garcia was back to being the Nats starting second baseman off having not started each of the team's previous two games due to it facing a lefty starter. Uh, Garcia on Thursday as the Nats starting second baseman and number seven batter. One for four with a single. And the single was impressive. Garcia in the top of the seventh, a two-out single up the middle on an 0-2 pitch. But the Nats, seven games into this regular season, are just 1-6 and six and have totaled just 17 runs. 17 runs over seven games. Uh, the Nats this weekend have the final three games of this four-game series at the Rockies. Game two, Friday night at 8.40. Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game three, Saturday night at 8.10. Trevor Williams will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game four, Sunday afternoon at 3.10. Chad Cool will be the Nats starting pitcher. Well, Thursday was April 6th, 2023. It was the 19-year anniversary of the Capitals winning the NHL Draft Lottery for the 2004 NHL Draft. It was on April 6th, 2004, that the Caps won the NHL Draft Lottery for the 2004 NHL Draft. The Caps, with that number one overall pick in the 2004 Draft, took a Russian winger named Alex Ovechkin, and the rest, as they say, is history. Uh, well, the Caps' postseason hopes for this season are history. Uh, the Caps on Tuesday night were eliminated from postseason contention thanks to the Florida Panthers' a 2-1 win over the Buffalo Sabres. The Caps' streak of making the Stanley Cup playoffs in each of eight consecutive seasons is over. And so what we have right now is the Caps just playing out 
their regular season, and uh, things are not going so well. You could say that the Caps are tapping out, although to me, from the perspective of the 2023 NHL Draft Lottery, the Caps losing right now isn't so bad. But the Caps fell to 34-35-9 with a 6-2 loss at the Montreal Canadiens on Thursday night. The Caps now are 12-22-3 since their 22-13-6 start. Part of that, yes, is the Caps sell-off prior to the March 3rd NHL trade deadline. But how about this? The Caps now have allowed at least five goals in a game in seven of the team's last 11 games. Uh, The Caps, as their regular season ends, are giving it up, man. Uh, Now, they on Thursday night were without a good number of key players due to injury. Defenseman Trevor Van Riemsdyk did not play due to an upper body injury. Winger Anthony Mantha did not play due to a lower body injury. Winger TJ Oshie did not play due to an upper body injury. And also remaining out for the Caps due to injury were wingers Connor Brown and Carl Haglin. But still, a 6-2 blowout loss at the Canadiens, who, by the way, are the second worst team in the Eastern Conference. So the Caps now are the fourth worst team in the Eastern Conference. So the Caps starting goaltender Darcy Kemper is not playing well. He on Thursday night stopped just 26 of the 31 shots on goal that he faced. Kemper per natural stat trick stopped just three of the six high danger shots on goal that he faced and stopped just seven of the nine medium danger shots on goal that he faced. And understand the Caps went three of three on the penalty kill. So it's not like Kemper gave up multiple power play goals. Uh, How about the Caps power play on Thursday night? Now the Caps did go one of five on the power play center. Nicholas Backstrom scored a third period power play goal, but the Caps allowed two shorthanded goals in the second period. First time that the Caps have allowed at least two shorthanded goals in a regular season game since November 2011. Uh, the Caps lost that second period for nothing. Uh, some positives for the Caps on Thursday night center. Dylan Strome continues to produce a first period even strength goal and a third period primary assist. Winger Alex Ovechkin had a first period secondary assist and a game high four hits, but he also had just one shot on goal, and the Caps on Thursday night got hammered. They now mercifully have just four games left this season. Next up for the Caps, home to the Panthers, Saturday night at 7. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 546. We'll have a lot for you on the commanders and on the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. The Wizards this weekend have their final two games of the season. Home to the Miami Heat Friday night at 7 and home to the Western Conference worst Houston Rockets Sunday afternoon at 1. The Capitals this weekend have one game home to the Florida Panthers Saturday night at 7. The Nationals this weekend have the final three games of a four-game series at the Colorado Rockies and the Orioles this weekend have their first home series of the regular season, a three-game series against the New York Yankees. Have a great weekend and I'll talk to you on Monday. We're not going to be uh, suck this year.